it feels like we're hitting the biggest high wrestling has had in at least a decade, probably two decades. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are literally beating Monday Night Raw in the ratings like a bunch in a row. And all of a sudden people are starting to go, oh shit, it feels like the WWF versus WCW Monday Night Wars thing again. And that was, for me, the coolest time wrestling was alive because you had both sides of this thing. So I want to talk mostly about AEW because I know that's your bread and butter and all, but how do you feel about this whole era being defined as like the rivalry between the two? And do you feel like it doesn't matter, rising tide lifts all boats? Yeah, I actually, I hope every company does well. So I, I don't, like obviously, of course, I work for AEW, so I want AEW to be the best. I want it to make the most money. More money makes more money I make. So of course that's, and more eyes on me. That's another thing too, but I want every company to do well. So I don't like to, shit on any company and not just WWE there's you know ROH there's Impact there's even like MLW and like I just hope all these companies do well because no matter what I want you know I have a bunch of friends in the wrestling business and like there I want them to make money if they're you know this company I want them to make money if they I want everyone to be happy I want everyone to make money I want there to be a lot of places to work I want more people just in the world watching wrestling so I try not to, I don't even look at it as a competition what a guy good answer but he did expand a little more right after that, but I'm going to make you wait for it. Welcome back to The Link. I'm your host, Mike Zago. Episode 34. Shaq War number 34 makes it a good one. WrestleMania 34. Undertaker beats John Cena. Brock retains in the main event. Good stuff. As you heard in the open, we have a wrestling episode this week. Wrestling is awesome, man. Everyone grew up watching and loving wrestling. When you were young, and for some people still, myself included, I still keep tabs on it and enjoy it. You have some wrestlers that you really attach to, especially from the older days. It's just fun. It's such innocent fun. It's high-flying intensity, physical specimens, stuntmen combined with actors, combined with athletes, some silliness, some comedy, some intrigue, some spandex, some fireworks. What else do you need? Sounds like a party. I feel like for a lot of people, it really represents just good times in their life. As a kid, we would get 10 of us together. We would order a pay-per-view. We would make it a whole night. It was the coolest, man. So many good memories. Anyway, John Silver is a pro wrestler in AEW. We also happen to go to high school together, know each other from around town, have hung out a bunch of times, and he was nice enough to come on and talk me through what's happening in the wrestling world right now, which is exploding. For a long time, WWE had a stranglehold on professional wrestling, but AEW has come on really strong over the past two years-ish, and it's becoming a huge rivalry. So a lot of what we talked about is revolving around the wrestling scene as a whole, and that is a huge part of it. For people that are ultra into wrestling, this will be a really good episode for you. For people that are not as much into wrestling, there's still a lot in here. I kept it tailored to both sides, I promise you. But what I want to do right now is give a quick glossary of terms for the people that aren't all the way into it. It might help you along the way. I'll be quick. WWE, obviously, is the same as WWF, which is premier wrestling organization. Vince McMahon, The Rock, blah, blah, blah. AEW is newer, has a lot of stars, is coming on really strong, and is battling WWE right now. John Silver is who we're talking to. He is part of the Dark Order, which is a faction, which is a group of wrestlers that go together, like the NWO or DX, or the Jackson 5. Within the Dark Order is Alex Reynolds, Evil Uno, Stu. You'll hear these guys as we go along. They're all part of the group. Brody Lee was also part of the group, a founding member, formerly known as Luke Harper in WWE. Unfortunately, and very sadly, he passed away recently, and it had a huge impact on the group and the brand, and we talked a little bit about it as we go along. You might hear us refer to the Young Bucks, who are a tag team that are absolutely huge and had a huge hand in making AEW what it is now. Same goes for guys like Chris Jericho and Cody Rhodes. CM Punk is there now. Brian Danielson is there now. Sting is there now. I mean, it's insane how popular it's getting. Just five years ago, people probably never thought that WWE would have another competitor of this size, and it has come together so quickly and so cool that it's really fascinating. You might hear us talk about Dynamite, which is one of their shows on TV. You might hear us talk about BTE, which is another one of their shows, but it's on YouTube, and it's a behind-the-scenes kind of thing, but it's still in character and adding 
to the vibe of some of these people that don't get as much TV time. And some of them do get a lot of TV time. It's just like another bonus show almost. It's really cool that AEW does that. It's really fun. We talked about papering a little bit, which was a bit that they did on BTE, which was literally Brody Lee, who passed away, just throwing papers in people's faces, which is really funny. Also, in some of those, they use the SpongeBob transition. I'll put it in here. Three hours later. That I've used a bunch of times on this podcast. Good stuff. Anyway, I really wanted to talk to John about just what it's like to be part of this whole movement and to even be doing this job and to get to the highs that he has reached, clawing his way up, grinding all the way to finally get his spot. It's so cool. I'm proud of him. People are catching on. He's getting really popular. I see him all over the internet, and I feel a camaraderie with him, and it's just a really cool feeling to have this connection to a guy that's really exploding at the time, and I'm happy that we got to talk about more. Anyway, that's enough of me. As always, you can click the social media links in the description, but follow me at the link underscore podcast. I'll share stuff about this all week, and if you're listening to this in the future, then just scroll back or something. I don't know. Anyway, gotta get my entrance together. Hit the music. So, first of all, you have a fucking action figure, dude. How cool. It's so cool to have seen you come up and gotten so far. It's really fun to watch from the outside. It must be really surreal and fun for you. Like, what does this all feel like? Yeah, it's it's like weird because I still feel like, I guess, like when you watch your favorite wrestlers growing up or even now or see like a celebrity or whatever, you almost think they are like a different species almost you know like <laughs> right. exactly the same i don't feel any different so but it's like it's like like it's just, i don't know it's hard to explain it's just like a weird feeling like oh people are gonna buy my action figure in walmart's and like target <laughs> i know online, it's awesome like of me and it's really funny that the one like the i don't know if you saw the i'm sure you obviously saw the uh the pictures of it but they did the, the normal face that's on me at first is like when I started the Dark Order, which was like brainwashed guy. So my face is like. And here you can imagine Johnny doing this intense brainwashed promo. His face is wild and full of fury and he's really selling it hard. And I wish I could have played it for you, but you know, you got to save the good stuff for the AEW shows, baby. But then <laughs> yeah. the one, they, the removable one looks exactly like me. Like, it totally <laughs> does. It's scary, dude. It's like one of the better ones I've ever seen. Yeah, it looks just like me, that one. And I'm like, oh, they probably should have just had that one. That one's, like, way better. It's so funny to see. It's got to be, like, bizarre. The day you walk into a Walmart, you're going to have to buy one from a Walmart. You should do, like, a video series of buying them from Walmart and seeing if the person at the checkout notices that you're buying your own thing. I've heard, like, these AEW figures just sell out. So hopefully I can find mine. It'd be nice to see it. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, dude, it's, it's cool. Like, how did the dark order get started because i feel like that is when at least your popularity took like a different level because you were able to kind of i think just put more personality into it i don't know how do you feel about it because once that got going it was like oh shit he's like kind of leading the pack a little bit as opposed to before it felt like you were definitely part of the squad but you were not necessarily in the front and this gave you such a podium to like do your thing yeah i think um the main thing was that when we got brought in and then put in the dark order, there was zero expectations for me and Alex. It was, they didn't know. I mean, the young bucks knew we could wrestle because that's how we got in there. Cause we wrestled them on the Indies before. Okay. Um, so they kind of, they knew about us obviously, but Tony had no idea like really anything about us. I'm sure like Kenny and Cody really didn't know anything about us. So we were just there to be almost like backup guys, probably get beat up every once in a while. Like, and then there was one day where Uno was, I guess he talked with like, he was having like a conversation with the Young Bucks and they said, we should do something on BTE. And I guess at the time he didn't feel comfortable doing BTE because he wanted to stay more of like a serious uh, heel. And he's like, well, if you guys want to do it, I think it'd be fine for you too. And I'm like, of course, like I've been waiting to do this, but I've been taking my role very seriously. Of right, of brain, course. Like brainwashed guy in the back. Like that's, I was just trying to do that character. Apparently that was the worst thing I could do because once it happened, BTE blew up. People wanted to see our stuff every week. And then of course, like me and Brody had really good chemistry. 
So everything we did on there, like it would be, you know, you look at the comments and like every week is like, we need more of this. We need more Brody and silver. We need more Brody paper and people. So that blew up. And then Brody didn't want to be on it originally either. But our first, if you watch our first bit, we wanted to set up that me and Alex were going to be recruiting people. That was going to be right. the thing. So Brody comes in uh, like papers, Uno, and then they said that we need people to answer. They said answer emails, but it was, it was more of like recruiting. So that was just supposed to be, that's all they wanted to do. That was the but bit. That was the bit. And then like they say, John and Alex, you go recruit people. So it sets up us, but people love Brody papering Uno. And then like once the whole group saw how popular me and Alex were getting by doing this, they wanted to be more part of it. And then it just kind of, took over and then we started doing just we would do our recruitment bits me and alex and then we'd also do the dark order bits together and they were just the most popular bits in the show (laughs) so how much does the locker room give you feedback like do you know how popular it's getting when you're doing it because it's got to be a little hard to tell and then you must hear buzz around or something like how do you find out how over this actually is when it's happening. And then people are like, you guys should do more of this. And you're like, okay. And you're just waiting for an opportunity to do whatever. Does someone come to you and say like, hey, this is hitting, or is it not that obvious? Well, normally it will be a lot obvious by the crowd reaction, but this was during COVID. Exactly. Yeah. You came up like you got white hot during COVID without crowds. This is such a unique situation that like, if you think about it, has any popular wrestler ever been in this scenario where there are no crowds and they have to find out whether they're over or not via different means? I mean, most at least had an idea going into it. No one, I don't think anyone really got, uh, maybe you could say Kingston, but there's not many people that got popular, like going like from zero basically to very popular during COVID with no crowds. So I kind of knew by the reactions, not only that, like I was getting from just comments and tweets and Instagram posts, but also, like, there would be people I'd be walking down the hall in an AW show. It's like, oh, there's the, the most over guy, or there's, there's, there's the guy, there's the guy from Beats. Like, like, they were just little comments that they, people would sure. say that it was catching on. And obviously, the Young Bucks, the Young Bucks show. So they really, you know, we're on their show doing their thing. So they really appreciate us. It's crazy how far it has come. And it's such a fun angle. And it's, I love factions in general. I always have because there just feels like more to work with for each of the individual wrestlers. And so when you're able to do that and flourish at the same time, and you have this COVID thing, it's like you have such this interesting, unique perspective on the business that you have now. And now that you get back to crowds, what was that like to go back? And like, you guys were just here near home for us. Yeah. uh, Arthur Ashe stadium, which was huge, big show. Everything went great. What was it like to like be, all the way back in it and be over and being like, so this is what it's like to feel this. No, it's awesome. It feels me. You know, it feels amazing. Like um, even just like a lot of times once the dark water music hits, it just, you hear the crowd and it's fantastic. And then not even just that, but once I get to the ring, it's, I feel like every single week, it doesn't matter if I'm in the match, I'm not in the match. If I'm just out there, if I'm just there, there's always Johnny hungry chance right off the bat. People are excited to see me and, you know, obviously the whole group as well. So that's really cool that that's happening because it's especially like Arthur Ashe because we, you know how like, I don't know if you watch BT every week, but they've been showing like Adam Cole or Brian Danielson, the music hits and they see like the reactions. I'm like, that's exactly what it was like for this week, especially. I was like, I was next to Alex and I hear the music. I'm like, holy crap, man, this is great. And once we walk out, you know, just beat off it. So it was really cool. Especially that Arthur Ashe from home, my family's there. So yeah, you, you know. must have had a lot of people that you know that we both probably know that were there. I had a ton of friends. I didn't get to go. I wish I did, but I had a ton of friends go. Like I kept seeing different angles of it from people's phones on Instagram, and I'm like, it just feels like such a homecoming. He and I, we knew we were going to be doing this already, and I'm like, he must be having such a fucking blast. Do you get to soak it in, or are you so focused on like? let me nail this that I have to do. And then I'll worry about it later. I feel like it would be two sides of me. I feel like, yeah, we get to soak it in a little bit. We definitely do. But we, you know, there's been times, uh, I forgot where, where we were because my memory sucks, but we were somewhere with another huge stadium as well. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but our match, there was like very little time to do it. And it was a huge crowd. So I had to just rush and do my thing. I didn't even get really a big adrenaline rush. And I was so upset about that. 
But then this time we had a little bit more time. There's only three matches on the pre-show. We knew that Paul White was next. Paul White, formerly known as the Big Show in WWE, or if you want to go all the way back to WCW, the Giant. Depends on who you are, anyway. I'm sure he was going to have a crazy... Uh, <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Imagine he's going 25-minute Ironman match and just lumbering around to the corner. So we knew we had more time, so I got to soak it in. and It was really cool just, I mean, the small things like, I came out and then I would always have my hands like this. And then once I would just do that, I would literally watch a whole section stand up and start going crazy just from doing. You literally control tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And we, I mean, believe me, we appreciate it. So if you're a fan watching and you're going to be at one of the shows, believe me, keep on doing it. We love it. We love it more than anything in the world. So it's really cool. It's, it's, it's really insane. I don't know. Sometimes I just don't, think about it i just try to like i try to make this my new normal if that makes sense because then i don't, I don't want to like be star like not starstruck be like, like psych yourself out a little bit yeah like every week i try not to do that i try to work the reactions but i try not to get to the point where i'm like too much in the zone where i'm not thinking about the match not saying good point i try to just make this my new normal but it's very weird that this is my new normal if that makes sense you think it'll ever I don't want to say wear off. It won't wear off. If you're in a ring and people are screaming at you and loving you, I'm sure that always feels great. But do you think you'll get more used to that? Some of these guys, especially on your roster, have put in years and years and years of getting these reactions and controlling these crowds. Is it a skill that develops over time that allows you to kind of like zoom out of your body and realize, okay, I need to handle this the proper way and enjoy it at the same time. It feels like you have to calculate so many things and that's not even talking about doing the match. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely something you have to get used to. It's, 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 you know, it's a different world when you're out there, but when you're out there, you just gotta, you gotta know it's time to go to work and try to do your thing and not get too thrown off by the crowd. And I think for a while that was something that would, you know, scare me, but I feel like I don't know why I'm getting more comfortable, um, which is good, you know, but yeah. It's, it's weird. It's, you just got to get comfortable in front of everyone. Try not to psych yourself out mentally, like especially when you have a bigger match. You know, we have these quicker matches, the five-minute matches, ten-minute matches. A lot of times you're pretty good for the most part. But, you know, we had that big five-versus-five match in uh, North Carolina. I was, trying, I was like, all right, don't get psyched out. Big match we had after leaving Jacksonville, too. So it was uh, that was a big moment. And the crowd was insane that night as yeah. well. It was before Arthur Ashe, that was definitely the loudest crowd I've ever heard for one of my matches ever, like by far. Incredible. So, yeah, it's, you just gotta, I don't know, I, I think I'm getting a little better at it, but it's still, you still get caught up in the moment. I have so many questions. <laughs> I don't even know where to go, but uh, this is a really stupid question, but I, and I know the answer I think is yes, but was this always a thing you were like, I love this, whether you thought you were going to do it or not, irrelevant. I just mean, like, were you always following it, doing the pay-per-view thing? Were you always in this world? Yeah, watched it since I was a, since I could really remember. Like, you don't even, my earliest, there was not like a day, like a lot of people have, like, Same. where they turned on wrestling and then this happened and then I became a fan. I don't remember. I was just always on. It was always watching. Same, agreed. I think if I'm trying to think of, like, my earliest memories was, like, probably, like, the Heart Foundation versus, like, stone cold and like the undertaker and mankind 100%. like the usa and canada thing was like some of my earliest memories and then especially like wrestlemania what was it um was it 14 but stone cold and um classic one. yep look not only did i not question john but i knew that was wrestlemania 14 however i wanted to double check so i went back looked at the wikipedia and then i was curious about the other matches that happened there legion of doom got a win triple h defeated owen hart Mark Marrow, Marvelous Mark Marrow and Sable defeated the artist formerly known as Gold Dust and Luna Vachon. Hilarious. The Rock, the champ, then with the Nation of Domination still, defeated Ken Shamrock. Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie beat the New Age Outlaws and Undertaker beat Kane. What a primo WrestleMania. Unbelievable. Gotta go back to that one on the network. Anyway, back at it. Hey, that was that was my first like WrestleMania like memory, really. So I, I, I watched it my whole life. I had like a weird like two year thing where I didn't watch wrestling or three year thing. And it wasn't even like a, like I said, hey, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to watch this anymore. I just didn't like, I missed the week and then all of a sudden I just, I just stopped doing it. So it was like from like 2001 to like 2003 or 2004, maybe I got back into it. Well, that makes sense. Cause the reason I ask is because I think wrestling as a genre 
just goes through peaks and valleys, like anything, I guess. Sports do the same thing in anything. And right now, with the AEW versus WWE thing, it feels like we're hitting the biggest high wrestling has had in at least a decade, probably two decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are literally beating Monday Night Raw in the ratings like a bunch in a row. And all of a sudden, people are starting to go, oh, shit, it feels like the WWF first WCW Monday Night Wars thing again. And that was, for me, the coolest time wrestling was alive because you had both sides of this thing. So I want to talk mostly about AEW because I know that's your bread and butter and all. But how do you feel about this whole era being defined as like the rivalry between the two? And do you feel like it doesn't matter, rising tide lifts all boats? Yeah, I actually... I hope every company does well. So I, I don't like, obviously, of course I work for AEW. So I want AEW to be the best. I want us to make the most money, more money makes more money. I make. So of course that's, and more eyes on me. That's another thing too, but I want every company to do well. So I don't like to shit on any company and not just WWE. There's, you know, ROH, there's impact. There's even like MLW. And like, I just hope all these companies do well because no matter what I want, you know, I have a bunch of friends in the wrestling business. If like there, I want them to make money. If they're, you know, this company, I want them to make money. If they, I want them, everyone to be happy. I want everyone to make money. I want there to be a lot of places to work. I want more people just in the world watching wrestling. So I try not to, I don't even look at it as a competition, but I know I don't really, <laughs> it's hard for me to watch some, some other companies. Uh, I could have edited that uh, out, but I wanted you to know exactly how hard John had to work to not name drop there. Woo! That's good. That's professional stuff. AEW, give this man a raise. Get Tony on the phone. You know, but I still see what's happening. I still like will, you know, follow their social medias and just see what's going on. But I truly do think that our company is the best from a wrestling standpoint, from in the ring to, you know, just how it's presented and stuff like that. I really, I'm not even, I don't even think it's that close to be honest, but (laughs) I just- Such a politically correct way to say- we're better, obviously. I don't think there's many shows you watch in other companies that are, are getting you as excited to be a wrestling fan than some of the AEW shows. Like we just did All Out. Like that show was amazing. Like how do you how do you not watch that and be just excited, like and thrilled, like just as a fan? Like and same with the Arthur Ashe show. Like I can't see people watching that and be like, eh, that was all right. Like it was a of great show. Not you know, like it's really you know, it was just really cool. I feel like. There's something to the fact that you guys are just literally doing it better. But there's also something to the fact that it's just fresh. It just feels new every time you watch it. It's shiny. It's presented well. It's not stale. While some other companies have just been giving the same thing week after week for decades. And this just feels like someone, whether it's Tony Khan or whoever, decided like, oh, let's just listen to what all of the fans are telling us. And do exactly that. And we'll probably be successful. And I turn around and go, wow, what a simple thing. And yet you guys do it week after week after week. Like a perfect example was. Listen, I know it's tough. Summertime has come and gone. It's the fall now, which is pretty cool still. But just because it's not summer anymore, don't you dare let anyone tell you that you can't wear sunglasses anymore. Sunglasses are for all year round. Get that straight. And where do you get stylish sunglasses at a really good price? Oh, I don't know. Maybe Ambassador. Ambassadorsun.com. Check it out. They have a lot of cool pairs for men and women and everything in between or on either side. Very stylish. Worried about price? I gotcha. Fill up your cart. Enter promo code THELINK, T-H-E-L-I-N-K, before you check out you'll get a whopping 50% off. Ridiculous. Not going to get it anywhere else. Do it. Get yourself some shades. Look good. Squeeze in some time before the winter hits. We don't want to get there. We're not rushing it. Just do it now so you're ready. AmbassadorSun.com. Like a perfect example was the show in Chicago when people pretty much knew Punk was coming back. Mm -hmm. And you started the show with Punk. And to me, that was like, oh, wow that would never happen on a lot of other promotions. But I calculated it as if you don't do that, the crowd is going to chant the whole time 
for CM Punk. It's going to take over the show. No one else has a chance to succeed at all. And just a little thing like that made me go, okay, they're really thinking about and planning out how these things should go to get maximum enjoyment from all the fans. And it was just cool, man. It was just like this little tiny thing that makes you go, they care a little bit more than everyone else cares. Does it feel that way? Having worked at other promotions and now working at AEW? I actually was thinking the same thing when I was at the show. I remember looking at the board. I'm like, why are they, Why would they start with CM Punk? But then I'm like, of course, imagine being on first and all you hear is the CM Punk chance. Awful. That would be terrible. So, I mean, it was very smart of them to, to really realize that because I didn't yeah. know. But I obviously, I really, I think our company cares a lot, of course, not only about how the show is, but what the fans think of the show. And then, of course, about the wrestlers themselves. I feel like I don't think there's really anyone that has much of a complaint to say at AEW. It's really cool that they're taking care of the wrestlers and they're putting on great shows for the fans. So the fans are excited. The wrestlers are excited. It just makes for a fun environment. Everyone's happy and having fun and having a good time. Absolutely. Also, I don't want you to like rag on anybody and you're not going to want to anyway, but do you feel, I don't know how to put this. There's a stigma on how professional wrestlers are treated in a lot of promotions when it comes to a million things, travel, health, whatever it is. And I don't know if it's because it's new or if it's because it's true, but it feels like AEW has this reputation for taking better care of their talent and without just setting you up to sound like a shill for AEW, which I am doing, but whatever. Do you notice a difference between the other places you've been and here in terms of how comfortable you are in the locker room and things to worry about and whether you're taken care of, like all that kind of stuff? Does it feel fresh and different? I mean, I've never been contracted anywhere else, so maybe I can't really talk for anywhere else I've been. So still, you've been you've been in the locker rooms. You've still been with the guys. You've been doing shows, at least. I hear what you're saying, but the vibe, at least. Well, yeah, but I've done any extra work for any other company or any show like that. I feel like it's almost, it's weirdly like you really want to be there and do it, but it's almost depressing. <laughs> like, you know, cause it, I don't know, like you, you kind of know how good you are, you know, that you could be there, but they just don't want it. Or don't want you or whatever it is or whatever. Or maybe they just don't even know how good you are. Or, but I feel like when I've done like any extra work, it's always been a little depressing more than anything besides the first time I did it because uh, I was, 20 or 21 years old i was on pay-per-view <laughs> and dude i remember i'm i'm pretty sure this was like right around the time we were seeing each other a bunch you were like right in the midst of like you would get a show here you would get a show there you would do a couple matches everyone thought it was really cool and then you would be like back to the grind and that's kind of why i ask because to me it's pretty telling how they would treat the people that aren't being taken care of necessarily you know what i mean like you have an interesting perspective of like yes this is your first full-time contracted thing but to me it's like oh you should be welcomed with open arms like you're coming they're asking you to do a show you're doing not that you're doing them a favor it's nice that they choose you of course i'm sure you were happy about that but like i don't know it kind of feels like you're doing this thing for them you would hope to be taken care of you would hope to be given some freedom and I'm just curious if that's how it feels. I'm not trying to have you like shit on anyone specifically. I'm just wondering what it feels like to be an outsider in the room as opposed to being an insider in the room. I mean, that was always like terrifying. Like you, you want a job, you're there to try to, you know, try to get a job somehow. And you know that a lot of the people do not care about, I mean, you could be anyone on the street and they're trying to do their job as well. You know where you're at, you know that they're, the stars of the show they probably don't even notice you if anything so you don't know if you should say hi to this person don't say hi to this person like you don't know who or what you're going to do is going to piss anyone off walking on eggshells basically definitely a lot of people at aew even like when i'll have a match with the guy that's not contracted i feel like they'll give out all their ideas which is fine but every time i've had a match other places i do not say a word if they ask me something i'll answer but i will not request anything i will not you know, I mean, that's just how I was. I'm there to help them. But yeah, I understand. I don't know. You're working it's your way definitely a little bit different. Yeah. So I've always was just trying to be super respectful. Don't talk like, but I feel like the way a lot of the wrestlers here are, we're friendly. I, we ask for input. We ask for stuff they want to do. You know, it's yeah. just that brings me to like a little bit of a different question because 
what you're describing, it could be a mixture of things, right? Because time has passed. So that also feels like an old school mentality, like the don't speak until spoken to kind of thing, especially in wrestling rooms. I mean, I don't know, you tell me, but it feels like that's the reputation that they have. Like the elder guys are the elder statesmen. You respect them, salute, kiss the ring, do what you're told, blah, blah, blah. Not only does that feel like it's going away because you can recognize young creative talent, but you also happen to be in a promotion that kind of is flaunting that they're open and interested in what people have to do. And it's like, it's hard to tell which thing it is. But when you guys have these huge superstars come in, which you've had like a crazy influx recently of guys from Sting to CM Punk to Brian Danielson, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be Jim Ross announcing. It could be celebrities like you just had Masvidal on the show doing a flying knee. You had Snoop Dogg on doing moonsaults. It's like, how does that feel to know? It's a kind of a two-pronged question, right? Like it must be awesome to get that influx of talent, but it also must impact the locker room in a million different ways. Good because you get to work with these guys. Awesome. And you get to hang out with them and learn from them and et cetera, et cetera. But also, and maybe this is just me projecting, I don't know, but I feel like those guys are going to come in, be the main attraction for a while, and inevitably knock everyone else down a peg. For better, for worse, it's all a matter of perspective, I guess. But do you notice stuff or do you feel that in the locker room that when a CM Punk comes in, of course everyone recognizes that he's going to be top billing. Everyone is very excited to see him. He's going to open the show. He's going to close the show. He's going to get those big matches. But where's the balance between like, I'm excited to work with this guy and now there's so many stars here that I feel like I can't shine because in WWE or whatever other promotion, that seems like it became a problem at some point. I think it's the way you look at it. I mean, you could look at it like the both ways you just said, and I have looked at it both ways, but you also have to be like, I'm confident in what I do. I'm confident that the crowd's going to want to see me. So if the crowd's going to want to see me, I, I, I got to be out there eventually. Maybe not every show, but it's not like I was on every show anyway. It's not like I was, you know, having a match every single week. I feel like there's only up to go. People are reacting to me and stuff like that. I feel like I can only go up. And if I get to work with some of these guys, it'll be great. If not, I'm sure, well, I would say if not, because eventually I'm going to work with a lot of these guys. So there's no way if not. So I'm just looking forward to the future. I'm, the main thing is you got to make the best of every opportunity you're given. And that's one thing I think I've done where I wouldn't be where I am now. I probably would be, you know, just following around Uno and Stu still if I wasn't making the best of every opportunity. That's what you got to do. You know, I try to think about, oh, well, that's my spot is being taken. It's, you know, obviously if you split roster in half, you said this is now the roster, there's more opportunities there. But now right. what's going to happen is the company's going to grow so much better. You know, AEW has been on TV for, what, a year and a half, two years maybe. And now we have another hour of TV that's on. So we're growing. You seem to have this blue collar attitude, which is great because you've worked so hard to get through the non-contracted work to do this match, to impress this person, to get to this point and work your way up slowly but surely. I just wonder, do you feel that in the locker room? Do like a lot of people feel like this is such a collaborative effort because we're such a new thing that's finally hitting and everyone is working together or I haven't spoken to many pro wrestlers. So this is my opportunity to ask this question. Is it like, there's a lot of testosterone in that room. There has to be in the locker room. There has to be like a competitive edge. Everyone wants to go out there and put on their best thing. And the way you see it is the way I would probably see it. Almost like it's a golf game where like, you're not playing against anybody else. You just got to go out there and do your best thing. And if the people like it, then great. But also I would assume that in any athletic field tensions have to rise when it comes to that kind of stuff and do you see that often where you are or do you feel like it's more of a family vibe like everyone is working together we're giving each other feedback and if this thing goes well it's good for all of us we got with the most chill locker room you could find i mean of course you everyone wants to be on tv every week everyone wants to do this everyone wants to do that everyone wants to be at the pay-per-view everyone wants to do the main events but i feel like especially like the people that have been there from you know the early days of AEW. Everyone's just a buddy. I don't, I can't think of anyone I hate. And I think we have like a, you can call it a family, you can call it like a, just a, a, some type of bond, you know? So, you know what the main thing is? Every time someone else new comes in, 
you're kind of like, how should we feel about this guy? And then if they're cool, they're cool. And we are rooting for them. If they're, if they're a great guy, we're, like there's been so many times I've been like, all right, this guy Miro, I don't know, man. I don't know how he's going to be. And then he comes in, he's the coolest guy ever. I'm like, all right, everyone loves Miro. Like he's a great guy. So yeah. if someone does come in and they're a dickhead, then obviously no one's going to like them and everyone's probably not going to root for them. But so far, I, I really haven't had any problems. That's kind of like our a lot of the at least at least that's how my mind is. But I think a lot of the locker room as well is that if you're a cool guy, we're all happy that you're here. We're all you know rooting for everyone. And so far, I really haven't had any bad experiences. Dude, the biggest time I noticed that, or the biggest time I perceived that AEW was different in that regard a little bit was when Brody Lee passed away, and you were uniquely working with him. I don't know how close you were. I guess you can tell me, but. I just thought it was really cool. I don't know if it's my connection to you or just thinking that AEW is fresh and original or whatever it was, but when you got to do the power bomb and turn his thing into your thing and have that connection, it just felt like a really emotional, awesome moment that to me, and I think with a lot of fans, were like, this is a different thing that we can get behind. Like they care so much about not only him, because by reputation, of course, I don't know him. He was a good guy, but- the organization and everyone rallying around each other. What did that feel like? It was such a unique perspective that you got to be in again. I mean, meeting Brody and working with him a lot was was awesome. Very special. He was one of those guys that you kind of meet and then all of a sudden, like, yeah, we're going to get along. Like, it's almost, it was weird because I've met him before on the indies, but like once or twice. I don't even know if he remembers or would remember when we did meet originally. But when we met, it was like right off the bat, boom it's just like a connection and that's why we were kind of like not only obviously we're in the same group so we're put together on tv but they wanted to do a lot it was going to be a lot of stuff with me and brody together um it was going to be like kind of like a a raven and um stevie richards type thing kind of bullying me but me kind of just loving him anyway hilarious Yeah, yeah yeah that was the real plan and we had a lot of cool stuff lined up we kind of started it a little bit. We didn't really get to obviously do it, but it was just like the connection we had, especially on like BTE. That was one thing that they really were like, oh, we see, obviously we're watching what you're doing on BTE. We need it on TV because it's too good. So, um, you know, getting to be able to like meet him, work with him, you know, connect with him was very special. Of course, even like being on the show for him was very special as well. And, uh, you know, it was just like we said, like, I don't think there's anyone that could say a bad thing about him. because He was always, he's so genuine was, is the best thing I could say. Like he didn't say stuff to you just to kind of like say stuff. Like if he thought something was good, he'd tell you. If he said something the shits, he'd tell you, but in a, or a nice, funny way, <laughs> you know? So, right, he, right. you know, no one can say a bad word about him. He's a great guy. Very cool. Speaking of him and you together, how much do you think your physique and size has played into everything when it comes to your career you're a unique package i think usually it's either the big guy or the little guy thing when it comes to wrestling or in the past it has been to me anyway as a fan and you kind of fill both roles somehow because you're not tall but you're very big and strong and in some ways i feel like you play to the comedy of that and in some ways i feel like you play to the actual strengths of that which is like you can do a lot of the moves from both sides how does that feel to like a have to go up against or work with bigger guys like Brody Lee is huge I'm assuming he's much taller than you I don't know what the numbers are but it's got to be interesting to like work that narrative with a lot of different people and yet still have the powerful angle Mm -hmm. do you think your role is unique because of that it seems that way I mean, you got to really work with what you got. So, I mean, I can't do anything about me not being tall. So, you know, I got (laughs) to... No, I think it's a good thing. I think it's like, it makes it more unique and interesting that you're able to do both sides of the thing. Kane can't do the things that you can do. You're more compact, but strong in the best possible way. I didn't mean to like put you down in any way. No, I didn't take it like that. I meant like everyone's got to work with what they have. So like, there's plenty of people that are trying to work ways that they can't do and it doesn't look good but I was always strong when I started wrestling I was 14 years old and I was on the wrestling team so I was 110 pounds shout out to Howie Greenblatt yeah yeah Greenblatt (laughs) MacArthur High School wrestling coach Long Island if you know you know but uh I would wrestle you know a way that a normal small skinny 
person would. And then um, I was given a character when I started that I was supposed to act like a big guy. But obviously, I was short and I had a tag team partner who was also very short. But a lot of the stuff I was doing, like the strong guy stuff, I was doing. Like, it looked good. Like, I was pressing people. I was, yeah. And I'm like, oh, this all looks good. It's, it's not like it's like, oh, the funny because that guy did it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Normally, like, though, that's how that would be. It would be framed as comedy because the guy is scrawny or small or whatever it is. But when you can actually do it, it's like, oh, this is about to be funny. And then you're like, holy shit, he actually did all this stuff. Yeah, I think I kind of re- like when you start wrestling, I, a lot of people go through different phases and different things they're trying to try out and they don't know what works. So I did that. And eventually I just became like any other indie wrestler just doing the random moves. But eventually, I, the first time I did any type of strong guy stuff again was when I was in. Uh, I started in CZW, and me and Alex had a match against uh, Bendito and Azriel, and I bealed Bendito. By the way, a beal throw is when you basically just grab someone and throw them into a somersault, and they flip over onto their back. Or I'm entirely wrong, and I just offended all the wrestling fans. But it's something like that. And he pretty much hit the other side of the turnbuckle, and I'm like, "Oh, okay." And the crowd was like, "Holy crap!" Like they were stunned. <laughs> yeah. So I just did a few more that I'm like, all right, well, let me incorporate some of this stuff into my wrestling. So I just started going back to what I started with, really. I guess I should have known I was kind of strong. I have won strongman competitions and stuff like that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you didn't, you never looked in a mirror, dude. What? <laughs> yeah, but when you're, you know, when you just, you say, okay, guys like me don't do this stuff, you know? So, right. but you don't have to be guys like you. You don't have to be anything. You got to be what you are. So it took me a little while to figure that out and wrestle that way. But um, it all worked out. Dude, I was trying really hard to think of another person that was in that scenario ever that I can really think of in wrestling. And I couldn't really do it. If you can think of a guy that's on the smaller side but plays the strongman role and is pretty jacked and thick. Yeah, I said it. Put it in the comments at the link underscore podcast. We want to hear from you. Sound off. Goes back to the theme of this that like you have this unique story that is different. And I think everyone seems to resonate with you like, it would be hard to make you full heel because it would be the kind of situation where it's like, it's just anti-hero stuff. Like you're always going to have this following because you just vibe with the audience so much. I hope that sounds like a compliment it's meant to. It does. And I think I put myself out there so much where it's not, it's really never even like I'm playing. A, there's no playing a character. There's no, like, I can't, I, I almost think it's funny. It was like, oh, I love your gimmick. I'm like, there isn't a gimmick. Everything I say is stuff I say in real life. So like people are like, oh, Johnny Hungy, where do you think about that? I'm like, I don't know. I said it when I was like 22 <laughs> at a bar and then everyone thought it was funny. So I, I would just say it randomly and eventually I just said it on BTE and it became a thing. Like that's, that's it. The, what you're saying is so right. It vibes with me so much because when I watch you on TV, I'm like, this is the same dude that I would hang out with at 2 a.m. at Farrell's 10 years ago. And it was like, that really makes it so genuine because you know you are just this fun dude. You don't have to put anything on. And people definitely know that. You can feel it when you're watching it. When someone is doing, for better or worse, sometimes people do characters that are great. And even though you know it's not them, Mankind didn't wear a mask, Mick Foley doesn't wear one. But that doesn't mean it wasn't great. But for you, you have this, I don't want to call it an advantage because you cultivated it yourself. But like, you have this vibe with the fans that they're like, this is our guy because we can feel that he's really like this. Mm -hmm. Do you try to like consciously keep yourself on that track do you ever try to like push the envelope and try a new thing that you're like oh i'm really gonna try this hilarious move and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't or are you honed into like just go out there and be myself i feel like maybe like earlier in my career yeah i would just try different things even types of like different types of wrestling styles i would just do just because i like to be well versed but when it comes to personality it just uh, the more i just got comfortable just doing me the better and i realized for a while too like promo wise let's say i didn't know what to do because i'm like what does john silver talk like and i just didn't i kind of thought more like pro like you kind of like i was thinking more pro wrestling what do pro wrestlers do like what does cena do and what does this guy do but i just had to be john silver so i think i realized that at a beyond wrestling they had uh they still do uncharted territory where they do like a weekly show they do like seasons of it and it'd be like every, I think Thursday they do, every Thursday now. And um, they would have someone just interview after or before. And I would just act like John Silver. And I was like, oh, this is now working. And people are now 
tweeting more about the promo than sometimes the matches I have. And it's not even anything crazy. I'm not doing these big, I'm going to beat you out there. It's just me talking. People, I guess, connect to that. People kind of, I think they just know that's just how I am. They don't think it's a character because it's not. It it resonates as real, which is an interesting thing when it comes to wrestling because the biggest knock on people that don't like wrestling is like, oh, it's just fake, blah, 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 stupid, whatever. We don't need to go down that like super hacky road. But also I watch football on Sunday and I'm like, that quarterback isn't even allowed to be touched. What's more real about that than my dude going out here and getting slammed on his back and thrown into a turnbuckle 20 times? So I've always just found that ridiculous. And I'm sure you have as well. Mm -hmm. Chiming in. It's me from the future again, but the past to you. I need to come up with some kind of term for that. Anyway, I'm cutting out a really long-winded way of saying, I find it really funny that people think it's fake, but we spend all this time talking about how John finally got successful when he started being real and being himself out there. And it's just such an interesting dichotomy that has been done over and over on different shows and arguments and whatever, but I thought it was cool. Anyway, this was a better way of saying it, I assure you. And on to the next question. How long have you been traveling with them? Because that's relatively new for you, right? I started with them, which is uh, a little weird. Me and Alex's story is a little different because our first show was the third AEW show on TV, which was in West Virginia. Everyone else, I mean, we there was no plan. There was no like, hey, these guys are going to get signed. We need them. We got squashed in our first match. And then our second match, they flew us in. And it was like a little bit longer. And it was still basically a squash match, but in like a Halloween type thing. And then eventually, like every week, they would kind of tell us, oh, I think we could use you some more. Or maybe maybe we'll do this. And eventually someone was like, yeah, maybe we'll put you in the dark order or something. I don't know. But they always said it like that. So I was like, okay, that doesn't sound very reassuring. But I did. So we, were, we started touring from the third show. And then we weren't on every show from there. But a lot of them we were. And then eventually... After the new year, I think we're on just about every show. Then COVID hit, so it'd be just going to Jacksonville. For people that don't know, during COVID, at peak time, I believe all of the wrestling promotions, but definitely AEW and WWE and the bigger ones, shut down doing live shows with an audience. But for the first time, as far as I know, in wrestling history, they just filmed it straight up as if it was a set. They were still doing the matches and everything, but there was no crowd. So it was a totally different way to go about this whole business because usually you're just trying to feed off of the crowd anyway just shut up let him tell it now we're back on the road touring again so right but you, you're in the grand scheme of things especially in that locker room with such heavy hitters you're new to the whole travel thing multiple shows you're on more and more shows as you go you're getting more popular i'm just curious how that impacts your life as a person and your health and like trying to keep up with working out a lot, which I'm sure you have to do and getting your schedule straight and like pull back the curtain on that has to be a little hard to get everything together and be on the road and still keep your routine enough to perform when the camera's on. For a regular week, which doesn't happen all the time, it's easy because we fly out Tuesday, you wrestle on Wednesday, you fly home on Thursday. That's a normal time. But a lot of times there's now with Rampage, sometimes Ramp, I mean, Rampage is taped sometimes. Sometimes it's live. If it's live, then we're on the road longer. If there's a pay-per-view, then usually we're on the road for at least 10 days because we'll go from Tuesday, we go to Dynamite Wednesday. Then we'll, they usually do a live Rampage show, wherever that is, live Rampage. Then the pay-per-view, and then they, instead of flying you home for like literally a day, they just fly you to the next place where Dynamite is, and then you wrestle, then eventually go home. So that becomes difficult. So during a regular scheduled week, it's it's really not that hard, especially the last few weeks for me have been, uh, you know, New York, Jersey. This week I'm flying out because of Rochester, but then after that it's Philly, so I'll just drive there and home. So when you're here, you stay home. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'll, I'll do the show and just drive right home because it's a lot right. easier. Usually, I mean, it's pretty good. I usually like try to work out on Wednesday, like early in the morning, and then you get home and it's not that bad. Thursday is usually my off day because – once I'm on an airplane, I get home. I'm always exhausted. So that helps. unless I have some crazy stuff to do on Wednesday, usually I'll work out somehow. And unless I have to fly out early on a Tuesday, then I'll work out in the morning and then fly out to where I'm going to go. So it's really not that hard. I guess the hardest thing is when it starts getting a little like, oh, we have get to do this show. Then we have a live rampage. Okay. Then we have this. And then I don't know. There's some thing like sometimes it just gets a little like wonky and then for me, I don't care as much. I obviously like to get my workouts in and stay on a good schedule, especially diet as well. 
try to keep my diet as good as possible. Yeah, how does that work? Like when you're not home, it's got to be so much harder to control and you don't have the luxury of like, oh, I had to travel a lot. I put on eight pounds, <laughs> you know, like that's a real thing for you. You're on TV, you're doing this physical thing. You are what your body looks like. How conscious do you have to stay of that? Uh, you definitely got to stay conscious, but the day of the shows, there's catering and they gave us like uh, two big meals and you, you really could just keep eating as much as you want to go back. And, you know, there's not like a limit option. So the catering is really good. So you could, if you want to stay very healthy, you could, if you want to indulge, you definitely could indulge as well. But pretty much every time they, no matter what, at least we'll have an option of, there is always some vegetables. There's always some grilled chicken, rice. So if you just want to stay very boring, eat that, but there's also other options as well. So those days is pretty fine. It's usually like the Tuesday, but the day when you're flying is usually the more difficult ones, you know, like, right. especially if it's a longer flight, because then it gets a little difficult. Then you got to try to get, you know, bring like a protein bar on, which I really don't like protein bars. They're very boring. But those days will get a little more difficult. Because then let's say you get to the hotel kind of late. Now you're starving. What's open? Yeah. Ideally, you try to find something that's in the area that's somewhat healthy and then you eat there. But, you know, there's been times, of course, where I've gotten some crappy food. You know, it's difficult, but it's not, since it's not a lot of days in a row, it's usually not that bad. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a group chat that loves wrestling and we've talked about wrestling for years. And my buddy Chad said that he asked this question to Jose Offerman one time and he wouldn't answer it. And that's the MLB player, Jose Offerman, 15 year MLB veteran. Not exactly sure why he asked him this, but that's the case. So he wanted me to ask you. If you were stuck on a desert island like Castaway, shout out to Wilson and Tom, who would you most want from AEW to be there with you to survive? Uh, I mean, ideally, you want to think of someone that's not annoying, but also knows how to survive in this situation, right? So Absolutely. I'm trying to think of some like, like campers, you know, like who camps? <laughs> I mean, my first, the first thought that comes to my head, even though I don't think he's much of a camper, but would be Alex because usually he's pretty smart with a lot of things so he's my first so far but i, I i'm not married to that pick uh, <laughs> yeah there's probably someone that's like oh obviously this guy could be some wild cards in there too i might just have to go with alex i'll probably eventually like i'll probably be like two days later i'll be like oh this person would have been perfect <laughs> yeah. but you ship just... them off the island you ship in yeah. somebody else make sure they can swim to the island Stu, i feel like i don't maybe not Stu. i don't know Stu might be i could see him being like weirdly into stuff like that be able to survive but i don't know i don't i don't trust that either because i don't know if that's a fact so i'll still say alex to me i just feel like you get paul white you get him to do every physical activity necessary and you kind of just lounge in a tree hammock or something like that no he wouldn't he would make me do everything <laughs> <laughs> fair enough by the way that obvious answer john was looking for that whole time that he said he would come up with two days later easy one hangman adam page he carries rope around Everybody needs rope when you're stuck on a desert island. Perfect guy to have by my side. I'm surviving, baby. Okay, I forgot to put this in earlier. You have this vibe about you. Were you like always a physical kid? Because to me, in my head, you're kind of like Bam Bam from the Flintstones. That's how I imagine you as a child. <laughs> Just kind of running around creating havoc. Like what made you like you were 14 when you started, but you must have done something before 14. Well, I did like this, you know, school wrestling. So I did school wrestling because my friend did it. And then also Kurt Angle did it. So I did school wrestling. Then I was really good at it. So I kind of had to go far and that became a thing later. You know, MacArthur obviously was at least when we were, I don't know how they are now, but when we were there. They were blessed. Right. Yeah. They were six time in a row county champ. And um, then I had to quit after ninth grade because I started training for pro wrestling in ninth grade. Oh, um, that early. Okay. So you made that switch like way before I thought. Interesting. If you do MacArthur wrestling, you got to do every seminar. You got to do every camp. It was terrible. That's not fun. I wanted to go play. I wanted to go do stuff. So, you know, making the switch to not do that anymore was fine. Cause I mean, I knew I was good at it. So I, I always wonder what the potential would have been, but I was like, I'd rather have fun and I have fun doing pro wrestling, even though it's a lot of hard work too. I enjoy that a lot more than doing the school wrestling. So what do you do when you're 14? What do you do to move your needle towards pro wrestling? What options are there? How do you start training for that? How do you make that switch? They're not the same thing. Well, I, I mean, obviously, like I said, I always watched pro wrestling. So there's that. And then I, uh, I was on MySpace because that was still a thing back then. Huge. 
was on a, like a pro wrestling message board type thing. I asked if there was any schools in Long Island, so someone suggested NYWC. I was 14, so I'm like, I don't know if they'll be able, I'll be able to do it because I don't know how old you have to be. But um, hit them up. We they said to come check it out. I went down with my mom, and they said, you know what, you're an athletic kid. If your mom says okay, we'll let you start training. Wow, that's wild. That feels so early. So you've been at this for man. It makes us sound old, but like a long fucking time, dude. Yeah, that's great because it's finally paying off. It's such a good lesson to be like, keep going at the thing, even if yeah. it, you must have had times where you were like, this grind is so fucking hard. I'm not getting anywhere. And I don't mean it to sound derogatory. I think that's the path that everyone takes before they find success at some point in anything. And to finally be there. Do you feel like you're there? I know this is where we kind of started, but like, do you at least, are you able to acknowledge like all this shit was worth it, dude? Like from 14 on now I'm where I thought I was going to be when I was 14 starting this thing. Yeah. You definitely acknowledge it. And you know, the grind is, you know, they say the grind makes you, and I guess that's, yeah, it makes sense. But of course there was plenty of times where, you know, especially like two years ago, like we're pretty much right before I got signed. It was like, AEW was starting okay like I was kind of in contact with the Young Bucks but they really didn't give us any information so they're signing all these people okay TV started okay I guess we're not getting signed there WB starts signing every indie guy all these indie guys I'm like all right well they didn't sign us impacts never even heard from impact at all or I wait for to try out with them they didn't hit us back like, they brought us in for a show then never hit us back up I'm like no one wants me no one wants me and Alex I don't know what to do like i I got to a very, very low to get to a big high. That part sucked. That part sucked a lot. Like so many people I've wrestled with, pretty much almost everyone I've wrestled with was getting signed somewhere, you know, was getting a look at, was doing this, was doing something cool. And like, we had like nothing. And I'm like, this sucks. I don't know if I should do this anymore. Maybe like, I thought of like, maybe just switching out to try to find something else I like, or maybe just moving to like a, one, one thing I always like said as a, as a kid, like when I started wrestling, I'm like, if I can't make, I said 30, but 30 is still pretty young in wrestling years. But I'm like, if I don't make it by 30, I'm just going to move to like a resort somewhere and just work on the resort. And just, I'm still like, people make fun of me now because I still have a shitty car. I still like, I don't, I, I have like one pair of shorts I wear all summer. <laughs> I just don't like, I don't care about stuff, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so um, if I just worked, if I just lived on a resort, I don't need a lot of stuff. Yeah, dude. Well, luckily, you don't have to do that quite yet. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like you still have a little bit of time before you have to fall back to the second phase resort life. Yeah. <laughs> Last thing, and then I'll let you run because I know it's getting late. Who's your favorite wrestler ever? I can't not ask you that. Uh, I mean, that always changes for everyone. I feel like as sure. you grow, obviously, when you grow up. Or favorite up, few or whatever it is. I will say favorite few let's go with because of just fan favorite as growing up stone cold gotta list him you gotta say jericho kurt angle to watch another person not growing up i didn't like him at all but i appreciate him a lot more Shawn michaels why didn't you like him growing up too cocky and he was feuding with stone cold yeah true and then he like after that that's when he took off time and then when he came back was what around 2001 so that's when i around when i stopped watching so right right what about any matches that stand out to you as like this is the pinnacle like if you're going on youtube you're like this is what i'm putting on i mean you know you're gonna have and this is one of the i know we just had one of the best tv matches in brian danielson and kenny omega but uh one of my favorite tv matches was sean and triple h when i believe sean like wins the belt but his shoulders are down too and they reverse it right right uh, that match benoit versus kurt angle Kurt Angle and Sean, both matches from uh, WrestleMania. And I think the next one was Backlash. Jericho, Sean. There's just so many matches too. But that's so many, dude. Yeah. I was trying to think of like oddball ones that aren't super obvious. I hear the biggest oddball match that's really good. Go for it. The Wee LC match. Born Foggle versus uh, what's the hell his name? Um, yeah, it was a. Uh... I can't think of his name. The other. But the three-man band, they got involved, and then, like, his group got involved, and then it was, like... El Torito was, is who you're talking about. They had, like, a super entertaining match, and I'm like, you know what? This match is freaking awesome. I was expecting, like, a dog shit. A joke. <laughs> yeah. Kind of funny, but really bad. But it was a good, really good match. I, it's like, 
one match where I've like, if I say, Hey, you should go watch this match. And I was like, Oh, what is it really funny? He's like, no, it's actually a good match. Dude. That's a deep cut. I like that. <laughs> I like that. The first people that came, <laughs> I don't know why Foley is definitely my guy. When mm-hmm. Cactus Jack was like at his reign, and then dude love comes out and it's the polar opposite. And you're like, how can this man who looks like the average dude, not only be able to do one thing that's this incredible, but to do three and whatever Royal rumble it was, it might've been multiple where he was all three of them. And you're like, mm-hmm. this is just next level insanity. So I love him, but I guess this isn't an oddball one, but Yokozuna to me was always so cool, dude. He had his exact call it a gimmick it's not a gimmick it's his life this is he was a huge dude and to be able to like do the things that he did i always thought was so cool it's like the polar opposite of you i guess uh-huh. <laughs> oh man all right i'm sure there's a million things we could keep talking about but uh what days are you guys on wednesday and friday wednesday and friday everybody check out AEW. it's so fun it really is like this it feels new, fresh. Like every time you tune in, something might happen that's going to like set Twitter ablaze. So it's just been like a really hot era to watch. And to see you up there has been so cool. It's really fun. Oh, yeah. But wait, there's more. I am out in the good old desert editing the podcast from Arizona this week where my parents live. Sun City, party capital of the world. If you remember the last time I mentioned that on the pod, I think I mentioned it. I brought all my equipment out here last time. Recorded an episode with my dad, episode 15, one of the best. Go back and listen to that. Also recorded with my Uncle Dutch that week, episode 16. He owns a record label, they won a Grammy, but go listen to it. There's more and it's great. Point is, on that trip, I lost all my equipment before I got here. Nightmare. Forgot it in the airport, blah blah blah, got it back. Hooray. However, I'm scarred, and that's why I didn't bring all my equipment this time. But, a lot of my family members are here. My grandma's 90th birthday. I'll fast forward that, but I was singing her happy birthday. And I thought, what better time to get everyone on the pod? It's a wrestling episode. Everyone's got a wrestling story. Everyone grew up with it or was a fan of it or was adjacent to it at some point. So some familiar faces from pod history, some people that'll be on episodes in the future, and I'll introduce everyone as we go. But it seemed like a good way to close things out. First up, you know him, you love him. Episode 15 with my dad, we did a lot of music stuff. And admittedly, you're not the biggest wrestling fan in the world, but... Chris Jericho is part of AEW, so it seemed perfect to put on a couple YouTube videos and listen to Fozzie, Chris Jericho's band. For those that aren't familiar, he has in a rock metal band that's pretty popular. And we listened to that, and so this is my link in. What do you think of them? I remember Chris Jericho from the wrestling days. You were a big wrestling fan. I watched it with you. Um, watching these videos, this guy is pretty damn good. I, definitely no poser. I would put it up against most of the metal stuff that's out there. Or at that era, you know, more 90s to 2000s era. But definitely good stuff. All right, not exactly a wrestling take, but that's as close as we're going to get, and I had to get Dad on the podcast for the second time. Now, the long-awaited debut. It took 34 episodes, but we're finally getting her on. Mother dearest, get on in here. You took me to wrestling shows when I was a kid, so what was your experience like? The only thing I remember is the wrestlers taking folding chairs and throwing them and hitting each other with them. All right, we'll take that. Good memory. They do hit each other with chairs. What about acting-wise? You guys watch a lot of movies, and you must like or dislike certain wrestling actors. Who's your favorite or least favorite or what? Well, I don't like John Cena. He's got a big head. Ridiculous, but okay. But I do really like The Rock. Who doesn't like The Rock? You love The Rock. Everyone loves The Rock. We got to get The Rock on the podcast. It's... It's really been probably five or six episodes in a row we've been talking about The Rock, and maybe this is just what the podcast is now. I don't know. Great debut on the podcast. Not bad. Not bad. We'll have you back for a full episode. We had to get our feet wet first. All right, for the last part, if it sounds like we're whispering, it's because my niece and nephew were sleeping in the other room, and we had to be quieter, and you gotta respect that. They're adorable. They'll be on the pod eventually. Give them time. Last but not least, my cousin Mark, who is actually the wrestling fan in the family. I don't know where to begin that we only do two minutes on wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) But the first thing you wanted to hit on without any question was Iron Sheik. Yes, possibly one of the best heels of all time. When I was a little kid, he was champ for, God, it seemed like forever. And then Hulk Hogan came on the scene and he broke out of the camel clutch in uh, Madison Square Garden. And uh, I was pretty much wrestling forever after that. Dude, so good. Also... 
Do you follow Iron Sheik on Twitter? I do not, but I should. Oh, it's insane. He's a loon, man. He only types in capital letters, <laughs> which is incredible. And he literally says like the same things he does, like, I fucking break your neck. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking, it's really good. He goes after people. And uh, also the man for being given the credit for coining the phrase jabroni. True. He's the The Rock the took that from him. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. What a legend. All right, the last thing I wanted to talk about quickly, and we're going to try to find a way to do this. Best entrances and or music and or whatever you think, but when the music hits, obviously the easy one is Stone Cold. When yeah, the, that's that the glass breaking. The glass is breaking just, is just, just legendary. synonymous with badass. It's so good. Absolutely. So that's automatically on the list, but what other ones did you like? I would say number two for me would probably be NWO just because... Voodoo when Child. they first came out, well, that, that's Hollywood Hogan. That was going to be. Oh, right. Actually, that should have been. Three should have been NWO. Two is Hollywood coming into Voodoo Child. That just compared to. When I'm he would play American, the guitar just, on, the, oh, on the belt. Just so bad. No one ever NWO played the NWO spray paint? Yes. Oh, dude. So good. <laughs> and then uh, number one for me would be Macho Man. Just oh, such wow. a such an intense song. Just not known for a lunatic coming out about to rip someone apart. Dude, imagine the things he was doing right before the curtain opened backstage. Just intense. Intense yelling and growling at people. I was going to say DX. Like, you just saw the it went black and then the thin green line going across the screen and the guitar plays. That was super cool. I put them up there, too. And two other ones that are both in AEW now. Brian Danielson, Flight of the Valkyries. Solid. Incredible. And CM Punk, Cult of Personality. Which one of those do you think is better? I think Cult of Personality, just because whoever thought to use that as an entrance song gets it. They get it. But also Flight of the Valkyries is hilarious because it's like, what a weird throwback to use as a wrestling song. It just fits with his whole... It's so good. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to think of any other oddball ones that we don't know. You know who I loved? And I mentioned this earlier in the podcast. Dude Love. Oh, come on. I think all of his his all of his entrances were Mankind's was kinda that was the tire screeching, right? Yes. That was good. Dude Love was just so mech. Oh, incredible. And, uh, Cactus, Cactus Jack, Jack just a bang bang man. Bang bang. You can't you can't mention yeah, that. Yeah, so good. Were there any other weird oddball ones that were fun? Well, the bushwhackers were just oh. memorable. Like you, when you were a Dude, kid. Dude, the walk? Yeah, you did that. You, you're pumping your arms looking Hilarious. like a fool. Abs- How did they come up with that? <laughs> a lot of alcohol. So good. So good. All right. We could go on and do this for literally three days. Maybe think, we'll do another episode. I think we should end it on something a little classier. or. Mm. I mean, do you Who's... go Ric Flair? Is that too obvious? Oh, woo! Because, I mean, you hear you that hits, and the whole crowd's like, okay, we're about to watch great Dude, I know how we're going to end it. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! Man, that's good. Gets you hyped. Ric Flair, unmatched. Still kicking. Unbelievable. And if you're listening to this in the future and he's not still here, he's still here. It's like Tupac. He's on an island somewhere. I don't buy it. Gonna use that Ric Flair woo a lot in this podcast now. Get ready for it. Woo! Can't believe we didn't mention Undertaker for best entrances. Actually ridiculous. Me and my buddies used to play a drinking game, still probably do if he comes back, where you would take a shot for each minute that passed during the Undertaker's entrances. And some of them got really long. He started walking real slow, and it was a challenge, let me tell you. Man, after we stopped recording, we kept going for so long, and I mentioned that I talked about Yokozuna earlier in the podcast, and I can't believe I didn't know for the longest time that he's Samoan and not Japanese. What is happening in my life? How did I not know that? My world is upside down. I mean, honestly, it's just hard for me to handle it. So I'm going to wrap up here. Thanks to John Silver for joining us. Thanks to all the wrestling fans for tuning in. Thanks to everyone else for tuning in. Last thing before we run, secret code word for you to post on social media at the link underscore podcast so everybody knows that you listened all the way through the end to the end of the outro. I know this was a long one. I appreciate you all. And what else could the secret code word be but woo? Woo! W-O-O. Post it. Post a Ric Flair clip. However you want to do it. Just let me know you listened all the way here. I appreciate you. Gonna go contemplate my life that I didn't know about Yokozuna, and we'll see you next week. Woo!